Hello and welcome to Zen Wine. In this episode, I will be discussing the wines of Australia. And I'm going to break it up into two parts, two episodes, because it's quite a vast, vast land and a lot of different wines to cover. So a little bit about the history. 1788 is was the first fleet of 11 ships that landed in Botany Bay, which is now a part of Sydney. So there are British settlers coming to basically take over, looking for opportunity. There were soldiers, farmers, even convicted criminals. So the vine came with the first settlers who brought them from Cape Town. So, and then in 1832, James Busby was, um, he brought hundreds of vines from France and Spain. So, and he had this vision of Australia being um, the, the wine producing land for the thirsty UK right? So he brought vines, he had this vision, and he established vineyards in the Hunter Valley in New South Wales. So about 10 years after, Sicilian settlers making started making wines in um, Adelaide Hills and Barossa Valley in South Australia. So and then of course, phylloxera was bound to happen and hit in the late 19th century. And um, it came through Geelong in Victoria. So then Victoria was the most productive state in Australia and it took a long time to recover, but some of the best wines come out of Victoria and um, the Hunter Valley and South Australia have been um, spared from phylloxera. So, and that goes into the uniqueness of their vines and the, the great part of having old vines, right? So they can lay claim to some of the oldest vines in the world because they were never hit with phylloxera. So moving on. So Australia is almost the same size as the United States. So it's the world's largest island and the smallest uh, and its smallest continent. So, however, it, it might have this big size, but if you look at a map of Australia and its wine regions, you can see that it's only sequestered to the southeast and then southwest areas. So, the Australian mainland ranges in latitude from 10.4 and in Queensland to 39.1. So in, in Victoria. So the island of Tasmania as Tasmania is even further south. So the the mainland is framed by several different oceans as well. So the, the mainland is framed by the Indian Ocean to the west, the Southern Ocean to the south, and the Tasman Sea to the east. So the stereotype with the climate of Australia is that it's hot, dry, desert, snakes, kangaroos, right? Like that's, that's what I think of when I think of Australia. Um, however, there's a huge complexity and diversity throughout the continent's climate. Um, so the interior is that arid desert, but there's also temperate forests, 
uh, fertile pasture lands. There's there's tropical rainforests. There's there's mountain ranges and ocean influences. So viticulture is concentrated in the coastal areas in this southern half um, and around the inland uh, Murray Darling River system. So you have uh, inland hot, arid, and then around the oceans, you get more of a maritime climate. So in many regions, you do see a maritime climate and either warm or hot, um, but very similar to the Southern Mediterranean. So the, um, the climate in inland wine regions, especially Victoria and South Australia, is continental. So hotter summers, milder winters, and, and warmer than Central Europe. So with the exception, so the Hunter Valley in New South Wales is subtropical. And they have warm temperatures, cloud cover, and high humidity. So it's, they're able to make super intriguing wines from the Simeon grape. So Dr. Richard Smart was a, a leader in innovation and vineyard trellising and canopy management. So it, it, he, what he did was basically pioneer and developed the smart Dyson trellising system. So where you have this split canopy, um, then this is super helpful for, uh, vigorous vines. So if the temperatures are hot, the vines, you know, if they have access to water, which a lot of them are irrigated, they get too, they grow too much. So they're too vigorous. So smart Dyson splitting the canopy. So splitting that energy and really focusing in on the grapes. So Australian winemakers are very clean. So some of their wines are actually called a little too clinical, if you will. So they, after the last couple decades, they've really put a lot of focus into being the world's, one of the world's leading wine regions and, you know, moving away from this reputation of mass, mass produced wine and really having a little bit more focus, higher quality, um, and the thing is with Australian wine, the, the zones and regions can get a little confusing. So let's, let's cover that real quick. All right. So Australia had to come up with these geographical indicators or GI, um, if they wanted to <clears throat> continue to ship their wine, um, and export their wine, right? Because the EU uh, requirements is we we have to know where where the product is coming from. So the way that they did it, it's pretty clever actually, but it can get a little bit confusing, and I've had to go over this quite some time. So zones, regions, and subregions. That's how these geographical indicators are broken down. But so when you're talking about a zone, it's big. It can cover a state. Um, it can cover like, let's say South East, Southeastern Australia zone. That's a super zone because it basically encompasses 
all the wine growing regions except for Western Australia on clear cut the other side. So when you're talking about a zone, it can encompass either like South Australia, Victoria, New South Wales, right? These are the, these are zones, but then it can be further broken down into uh, another zone. For example, you can have a zone within a zone, okay? So you can have Barossa zone, And then that further splits into Barossa Valley and Eden Valley, okay? So on a label, if you see Barossa, the grapes could come from anywhere in that zone, which means Barossa Valley or Eden Valley. So you can, that gives winemakers a little bit of flexibility here to harvest and grab grapes from different areas to enable them to find balance in their wines, right? Because a lot of places are hot and arid. If you only have grapes in that area, you're going to want to source from a little bit of cooler, cooler climates as well. So it gives, it really sets winemakers up for success here. And, and it's not just the mass produced inexpensive wines that source from all over, uh, zones, right? So Penfolds, like they, they source their grapes from Southeastern Australia zone. So it's a blend. So Penfolds Grange, for example, it's a blend of grapes from South Australia. So any of these regions within, um, count, right? So um, so zones, regions, subregions. So regions would be like Clare Valley, Margaret River, and subregions, Hunter Valley, Great Southern, and Eden Valley. And um, in order to put that on the label, so in order to put Eden Valley on the label, you must have 85% grapes come from that area. Okay, so I want to get into a little bit of uh, grape varieties. So this episode is going to cover the grape varieties and um, and kind of the styles produced per those grape varieties. And then the next episode, we're going to do it like a two part. So then the next episode, I'm going to do more of the regions and get a little bit more specific because there's a lot of cooler climates and um, altitude aspects, ocean influences. There's a lot of different nuances of each region that I think are really important to come away with because that is you know, when you th- were debunking this reputation of just mass produce, like hot wines, basically, because that is not the case. And there's a lot of different cooler climates and that make Australia very special, right? And and very much a um, <clears throat> leader in terms of export and uh, modern diversity, um, innovation. So let's get into the grapes. Okay. And actually I'm going to back up one more minute before I get into the grapes, because, uh, it's important to tell you that, you know, before world war two, there was, it was fortified wines. That was the style. So 
exports in like the 1850s to the UK. Um, it was like sherry import inspired, right? So wines from Rutherglen um, were definitely, definitely, it was like the new world fortified wine. Um, so, but after the war, soldiers came back with a taste for more dry wines that they had been drinking in Europe. So after the 1950s onward, there's a few producers that are important to note. So Orlando being one of them, also now known as Jacob's Creek, Lindman's, Hardy's, Penfold's, of course. And this really came with this modernization with stainless steel and therefore temperature control in the winery, in your fermentation. So 1970s, we see a boutique winery movement and really focusing on planting grapes in cooler regions. So maximizing exposure, altitude, um, you know, maximizing hillsides and mountain ranges. So how can we get a little bit more finesse in the grapes? So, you know, traditionally wines are very ripe. There's fruit, a lot of fruit, um, some vanilla and coconut from the oak. And by the 2000s, Australia is the world's fifth exporter of wine, fifth leading export. So, um, so, you know, we're really shifting our focus here from high volume to smaller production and, um, which is great because we have, we have the movement from like the critter labels with the penguin and the kangaroo, which kind of gives Australia a, a bad name in a way. Um, so really focusing on shifting that perspective. So, being the sixth largest country in the world and having this diversity in its climates, we can really take advantage of some of this maritime influence. Okay, and I know I promised you grapes. I'm gonna get to the grapes, but I'm just gonna back up a little bit and hit the soils real quick because I think it's so important to understand that, you know, for being for being a relatively newer wine region, wine country, um, there's a ton of diversity in its soils. You know, so Australia has been a land mass for over a hundred million years. So like, for example, you know, Kunawara with its terra rossa soils, that red earth, um, the iron rich soils that has water stored deep in the water in the water table so making vines really struggle to find water and mclaren vale over 40 different soils exist here so really cool on that um, overall in terms of vineyard management there's lots of sunshine a lot of places with low humidity and that will be like lower disease pressure. So there is in some parts because it is hot and arid, um, a lack of water, but they pull water from the Murray Darling Basin. And um, it, another important key is that vines will be vigorous when they are irrigated. So there's a very, you have to be very intentional on vineyard management. And that's also why um, 
some divided canopy systems were were uh, brought about like the Scott Henry and Smart Dyson. So divide the canopy and lower the vigor. Um, in terms of soil salinity, it can be a problem here because if there's if you're irrigating often, you're going to get a lot of salinity in the soil. So you have to think about root stocks here and watering less often because if you get too much soil salinity, it can reduce vine growth and even kill your vines. So mostly Australia is mostly phylloxera free. So really cool because home to some of the oldest vines in the world which is so awesome. Um, they, they produce such uh, distinct styles and it really is part of history and heritage. So mostly phylloxera free except for Victoria and Tasmania. Um, the areas with low humidity, Adelaide Hills, Southern Victoria, and we want to definitely keep an open canopy here. Okay, so finally, I am going to get into the grapes, um, grapes and winemaking. So 60% of wines that are made in Australia are red wines. Uh, Shiraz being the main grape with 40,000 hectares under vine. Then you have Cabernet, Chardonnay, Merlot, Sauvignon Blanc, Pinot Noir, Semillon, Pinot Gris, and Riesling. So definitely a mix of the international grapes kind of their flagship grape, which is Shiraz, and also cool climate Riesling. What? That is so awesome. So Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, you have wines from all different price points, from $5 to over $800. And the Australian Wine Research Institute has been groundbreaking in terms of winemakers learning how to be very clean. So winemaking overall, if you want to talk about an overall arching winemaking theme throughout Australia, you're going to talk about clean winemaking almost to, almost to a fault, right? So that can be helpful if you're blind tasting too. So the wines are generally full-bodied red you know the red wines are full-bodied ripe fruity um, we really want to focus on site selection vineyard management and very specific harvest dates so with you know if you want higher acidity and you know kind of pulling back from that high alcohol hot hot style, super jammy style, you're going to pick your grapes early. And this is also going to help um, when there's tropical storms rolling in. So winemakers will kind of keep an eye on the storm, especially like, for example, Hunter Valley in New South Wales. You are literally on the coast. So you're going to get winds coming from the ocean and then coming from like the north uh, west right? So storms are coming in, you harvest early, maintain that high acidity and low sugar. So that's super important. Harvest dates in Australia, <laughs> that is a, a very important thing to their lives. Um, when we are talking about specifics in the winery, they generally use ambient yeasts, 
skin contact with lees contact uh, solids and fermentation for white wine so giving it a little bit of structure and complexity stem inclusion for reds and they often use whole bunch fermentation so uh, screw cap screw caps are also very important in Australian wine. Um, you will see even premium wines coming out with a screw cap. This is not an indication of quality, more so an indication of stylistic preference of kind of this like theme of winemaking together as a country. So, okay, I've promised you grapes the whole episode. Uh, let's get to it. But first, I want to take a moment with you. You know, this is Zen Wine Podcast. So you will find little drops, little droplets of Zen throughout these podcasts. Some will be at the end, some at the middle. Hey, maybe I'll start off next time with it. Um, but something that I've really learned along the way that, you know, helps my anxiety. Because, for example, when I'm learning about a massive wine region like Australia with all the different nuances, grape styles, growing, climate, etc. I tend to like oh, get this like knot in my stomach and get overwhelmed. It's easy to get overwhelmed, especially in 2020. Holy moly, there is a lot going on and it's hard to stay motivated and grounded. So what I'd love to share with you guys is just a little grounding exercise that you can do any time of day. And I highly recommend multiple times a day. That's what I'm starting to do. I start off with a little meditation or grounding exercise in the morning and kind of continue throughout the day every couple hours. It doesn't take a lot of time, but man, it sure does make a difference. So <clears throat> if you are totally against this and this is not your thing and you're like, lady, I'm here for the wine. Well, fast forward a little bit and I'll continue on. So for the rest of us, I'd like to just take a moment. If you are seated, if you are not driving, you can close your eyes, kind of just soften and just start landing in your body. Just take a breath. Breathe, big inhale through your nose and slow, long exhale through your mouth. So the next breath, feel your lungs expand. As you breathe in all the way to the top, just a soft, slow, steady inhale. Pause for a moment at the top. As you exhale, release all the air out. Just continue a few rounds of breath on your own and just land here for a moment. So put everything else aside. Just let it all be, whatever it is without trying to fix or manage or control anything. We're just gonna soften and just breathe here together. How can we bring a little bit more awareness to the breath, awareness of your body, your being, your presence here on this earth feet firmly planted on the ground wherever you are. 
soften the jaw muscles. Soften the shoulders down. Send the breath all the way down. Just letting your body know, hey, it's okay. It's okay to be busy. It's okay to have a lot going on. And it's also okay to stop, take a few breaths and release some tension. I find that having more mindful moments throughout the day, I can actually get more done. I can get, I can move through my day with more ease, less of this uh, fix and manage and control, right? I can just flow through my day with a sense of softness, even if it's super busy. It's just, I'm going through with just a little reminder, hey, I am here, I am in my body, and I am grateful. So let's flutter your eyes open and I think you deserve some grape action. So let's get to it. So as I mentioned before, Shiraz, it is the flagship grape of Australia. There's a few different versions of styles. So in the hotter climates like McLaren Vale and Barossa, you're going to have full-bodied, high-alcohol, high-intensity, pronounced dark fruit, um, some with earthy and spice characteristics. These also can age beautifully. They have the structure. They have high but plushy and soft tannins. Absolutely delicious. Um, they kind of move into this tertiary component with age. Or you can have a cooler style, a little bit more crunchy, a little bit more uh, Rhone style. So Yara Valley and Grampians. So we are in the Victoria area and these wines will have medium alcohol and less intense fruit. So big difference here between the alcohol content, right? So so, and that's the difference, warm or cool climate. Um, the wines have black cherry and a distinct black pepper. So um, it's sometimes helpful if you are tasting both styles, compare the two, taste them at, taste them together. That is super helpful for me. So we're moving away from this big extracted jammy style and moving into more of the fashionable style, more restrained wines that are being made by whole bunch fermentation, reducing the levels of extraction and limiting levels of new oak. So some wines traditionally will be aged in American oak. So you get those, those sweet coconut and dill flavors. Um, however, French oak is on the rise. So Shiraz, you will see varietal. You will see in blends of Grenache and Mourvedre, like Rhone style, GSM, classic. Or you can see kind of this newer scene on the rise with the Shiraz Viognier co-ferment. So this is again, Cote Roti style, a little bit more European style. And Shiraz and Cab blends 
also are a thing and they resemble more of like a right bank style. <clears throat> Moving on to Cabernet. So international grapes are super important, obviously, because they want to grow their export market. So you can have Cabernet as single varietal, as a blend you can do with Shiraz or um, more of like a Bordeaux. So these wines have higher acidity, tannins, they have black fruit, black currant, cherry. They often have oak. Some of the leading regions are Kunawara with a distinctive mint or eucalyptus character and Margaret River where the wines are blended with Merlot for more of a riper, more Bordeaux style. So Merlot can often have medium body to full body with red fruit moving into like a riper black fruit character. Grenache. So there's about 1,500 hectares under vine. It um, historically was blended, right? Part of this GSM picture. But now it's becoming fashionable and very exciting because these wines are starting to be made as single varietal. And there's a lot of old vines going on, especially in McLaren Vale, Eden Valley, and Barossa Valley. So we want to really focus on the aromas and tannin structure, higher acidity, so old vines, concentrated fruit, low yields, but super refined and age-worthy. These wines are um, not in small or new barrels, right? They are old oak or large barrels because we want to focus on the flavor of the grape. We want to highlight the varietal character so we're not we're going to take a very hands-off approach here so pinot noir super elegant and super exciting because you think of australia and you're like oh hot shiraz cool nope cooler climate from yara valley mornington peninsula and tasmania so these wines have red fruit cherry and strawberry they're super elegant medium body medium alcohol and medium to high acid so they're really taking advantage of altitudes and maritime climates being by the sea also um, in the winery they often use whole bunch fermentation for more of a fruity style cold maceration and stem inclusion um, moving on to chardonnay you can have two different styles here again right warm versus cool so the warm will be ripe with overt oak or the cooler can be leaner with more um, more acid so the quality can be ripe citrus and peach and medium to medium plus acid also with this well integrated oak or possibly blended with semillon so really what we're trying to focus in on is how do we get complexity balance and texture and this this blending across the zone idea, getting your grapes from multiple different regions and zones, this really helps in the blending in terms of the viticulture. 
in terms of winery and how how we are processing these grapes, ambient yeast is definitely a thing. Um, solids in fermentation, so we're just adding to the complexity and texture. Um, barrel fermentation, right? Adding again to this this um, um, balance and texture. Uh, Lee's aging give you gives you um, phenolics, right? It gives you ageability. It gives you flavor and barrel fermentation and malolactic. <clears throat> so different styles of Chardonnay. Margaret River is definitely one of the one of the um, regions that can shine for Chardonnay for sure. Um, kind of this blend of rich, creamy, but also like pineapple and peach and ripe citrus and medium plus acid. So moving on to Sauvignon Blanc, this is more uh, seen in cooler climates like the Yarra Valley, Tasmania, Mornington Peninsula, and Adelaide Hills. Um, there's two styles here in terms of winemaking. So you can ferment in stainless steel to have more of a, a neutral, fresh, crisp, youthful style, or you can barrel ferments or barrel maturate, right? So there's like adding a little bit more texture and complexity. So take your pick which style you prefer. Um, Margaret River, they blend with Semillon. So it's more of a Bordeaux style here. So moving on to Semillon, which is one of the most distinctive grape varieties of Australian wine period. So this is kind of um, a little mysterious grape variety, and I'll tell you why. So they pick the grapes early, um, not only to retain acidity, but also to um, avoid some um, hazardous weather. So keep an eye on storms, make sure to pick early um, to retain that acidity as well. So picking early leads to low alcohol, high acidity. The wines are neutral in youth and aged. So they're not aged in barrel. They are made in stainless steel, bottled young. So the, the, the young wines are often pretty simple and neutral, although they do still have this high acidity and low alcohol. So can be uh, a good ringer if you're blind tasting Semillon. I often have a difficult time blind tasting young Semillon. Um, it does have this like waxy texture, nice lemon flavors, but it is pretty simple and neutral. So it's, it, it is hard to um, kind of narrow down, but that high acidity and low alcohol, that, that pair is super important. So the wines gain complexity with age. So nobody really knows how, but eventually with about five years of age, these wines seem to be moving into this nutty tarragon, um, uh, much more complex flavor with really a, a great capacity to age. So pretty cool here. Um, I have not had an example of 
aged Hunter Valley Semillon, but it's always something that I'm keeping a lookout for. Um, and I think you should too, because it's, it's kind of a conundrum because super simple in youth, but ages beautifully and gains a ton of complexity with age. So moving on Pinot Gris or Pinot Grigio, Again, you see two different styles, so you can pick early for a neutral Veneto style or have a more riper Alsatian style. Um, Pinot Gris we see in Victoria, Mornington Peninsula, and Tasmania. And moving on to Riesling, another pretty distinctive grape of Australia, Clare Valley and Eden Valley. These are kind of the flagships of these regions. Great Southern as well. Uh, these wines are bone dry with high acid. Flavors of apple, lemon, peach, grapefruit, and lime. A big spectrum of lime here. Lime zest, lime juice, lime pith, you name it, lime. Uh, stainless steel, of course, for fruit and floral expression. Some high quality producers <clears throat> will only use free run juice. Also, some are experimenting with some pre-fermentation skin contact for some texture and weight. So that is a overview of the wine styles and grapes grown in Australia. So keep a lookout for part two of Australia where I go in depth with the regions and zones. And uh, thank you for listening and I will see you next time. Cheers.